right, everyone, welcome to another episode of the 20% Podcast. This is the podcast where we bring you tips and tricks from industry professionals across all industries that you can implement in your current job today. Now, this week's guest is a short video expert, specifically in the sales and sketch comedy space. He's helped people sound natural and play to the top of their intelligence on their cameras. He takes improv-based, he takes an improv-based approach, God, he takes an improv-based approach to content creation and sales. Now I'm improving here with all of these mess-ups on this read here. Uh, <laughs> Chris, can't stress the importance enough of being direct, supportive, and fun. Now, please join me in welcoming the master of improv and somebody who's making the most of things when they go completely wrong and sideways, Mr. Chris Bogue. Chris, welcome to the 20% Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. So I'm excited. As I was just, you know, we, we were just chatting briefly as we jumped in here. It's very interesting about how, when things go wrong, right? Now, I when I was reading this script for you, number one, I wasn't as human as I possibly could have been, and a couple of things went wrong. I'm not going to cut this out. I'm not going to edit that stuff. Let's talk first and foremost before we dive into your career history and in your experience um, and some of the hard stuff that you went through in life as well. How do you? What's the importance of embracing some of those unrehearsed moments and really trying to make light of them or fun? Um, yeah, I, so I, I'm, uh, I'm an improviser and sketch comedian. I did, uh, comedy for a long time. Um, and improv comedy is an art form where you don't have the luxury of mistakes. There's just the show, whatever you said, uh, you said it. And the rule is you have to take anything that is said to you and play off of it, you know? And, uh, this is. It's one of those things where, like, once you learn the improv rules, once you've done it, you know, hundreds and hundreds of shows, you kind of can't unlearn this stuff, you know. But uh, they teach you in improv, like, you don't ask questions and uh, you have to say yes to your partner and you're going on an experience together, you know, and, and it's really all about listening. So, um I'm drawn to a lot of, of fields where listening is important. Sales is one example of that. Number one skill. Yeah, a, a lot of uh, jazz. Um, I play jazz music. That's all about listening. And yeah, it's one of those things where it's like in jazz, there's no wrong notes. It, it's just, you just turn it into something, you know? There's and, a lot of improv in jazz, right? I'm not as familiar with uh, with actual music and on that perspective as well. But a lot of what you're doing is improvisation, right? Yeah, yeah. This is something I got back into music as an adult. I've only started playing again a year ago, but um, it's an oral tradition, you know, A-U-R-A-L. Like you're supposed to listen to it. And I didn't realize that until I started working with a teacher that, yeah, if you really want to learn how to play jazz music, you have to listen to all the subtleties of what they're doing, all the little, you know, intonations and scoops and uh, things like that that they're doing with the notes. And uh, sales is the same way. You know, if you're giving your undivided attention to your prospect, you know, and you're 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 making them the star of the the conversation. You know, you, you, ideally, it's it's called discovery because you're supposed to be discovering together. You know, and it's one of those things where sometimes a little detail jumps out of you, and you're like, "Hang on, I'm gonna f I, I gotta ask you more about this," and they'll reveal something that they weren't even trying to reveal to you. Improv comedy is the same way, where it's like you're getting suggestions from the audience. Sometimes you're you're bringing the audience up and making them tell a story or something. The more you can latch onto those little details, you know, if you remember that they were drinking a diet Dr. Pepper, um, these little tiny things where it's like the audience will laugh just because something is familiar to them. And it's the same thing in sales where it's like, 
you know, you just repeat back the words somebody said to you. And yet it's so powerful, you know, because most of the time people aren't paying attention to us. They're paying attention to their phone. That's so interesting. And I, and there's so many times too, where like, uh, even, and I can't think of a great example of it, but like being on a sales call, like some of the best rapport building that I've had was going back and, and mentioning a little detail that they mentioned at the beginning of a conversation, or, you know, when you're finishing up that call, you tie it back together to that little detail that they had. And it's just another way to remember them or, or for them to remember you as well. Um, why, like, you know, like just talking about, uh, improv and talking about sales before we, again, before we dive into your background, like why do you think it's so important for sellers or, or other folks to learn how to improv or to how to um, to roll with the punches or to your point of nothing goes wrong or there's 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 no uh, no mistakes that happen improv? How do we take that same muscle and use it in sales as well to try to roll with the punches as we're in these conversations or maybe they're not going the way that you would ideally like to see? It's a mindset change, you know, and this starts with like. It's kind of a fundamental misunderstanding about improv is the same misunderstanding about sales. Whereas in improv, the misunderstanding is that it's about going up there and telling jokes, right? Proving that you are the funniest person. And in sales, uh, the myth is that you're selling all the time. You know, you spend the 30 minutes persuading them. And really that's not what sales is about. You know, the hardest part about sales is like, are you targeting the right person in the first place? Did you qualify so you're speaking to the right person? And then, you know, anybody who's done a lot of sales knows you kind of, you always have to, the other person's going to buy for their own reasons. And sales is a job of, of like helping them discover why it's in their own interest to adopt your solutions. And, um, you know, they buy it for their reasons, not yours. So it's like, I'm always trying to play off them I'm always trying to again, it's like you're you're driving the relationship forward, you know, and um, yeah, I, I think of it like a, a ping pong kind of game, you know, where I like to I always have the next question I'm going to ask. Or I'm always going to have the next thing they to, to say to them. And um, depending on how they react, that, you know, alters how I go forward. And, you know, I, I always say sales reps will bring these decks to a sales demo. There's. 12 slides there's you know 15 bullet points on each slide and maybe only one of those bullet points was the thing your prospect cared about right that doesn't matter if there's 14 things on on the slide but they only care about one you talk about that one thing you get them to talk about you know what it is you get them to visualize how they could you know there's all these different tactics you can use but what happens is if you're not making it a collaborative thing if you're not making it back and forth if you're not making them an equal part in the show yeah um you might talk about 30 things one of them resonated you have no idea what it is you get done. They don't remember half of what was said. You don't know actually what it was that stuck out at them. Whereas if you think of every single line, every single word that's spoken as a gift, you know, and your job is to accept the gift and add something onto it and pass it back. Um, yeah, it gets a lot more clear and the conversation gets a lot more focused. And now you just spent 30 minutes talking about what they wanted to talk about as opposed to the hundred different things in your demo deck, most of which they probably don't care about. Right. Nobody cares. And, and two, that's like, it's almost like the, the death to Harbor tour, right? Nobody cares about 99.9% .9 of your solution. They care about solving that one problem that you had. 
Now, I love what you mentioned about these, um, the the gift giving back and forth um, of being able to take this experience or, or take whatever was happening, add onto it and pass it back and forth. I think of that same way as, as our careers as well, right? Um, so like, obviously it was a, a gift that you were born in the first place, but over time you were developing a lot of these skills. And I think of skills as transferring back and forth between jobs and moving forward. So talk to us a little bit more uh, about what some of those early years looked like before the improv, before the comedy, before um, music and sales, what was Chris like as a kid? And ultimately what were some of those foundational building blocks that you developed um, even before you, you went into the, uh, your professional career? Yeah. Well, I was always a storyteller. You know, I started doing improv around junior high, just with friends. We would watch whose line is it anyways. Love that. And uh, I was a boy scout. So we would have our, you know, we'd go away to summer camp and they'd have the big bonfire with however many hundreds of uh, scouts there. And I would always get up. We would always do a, a skit. I was always writing comedy, even at a, at a young age. And then honestly, I spent, um, most of my like college years and 20 years in, in my twenties, uh, just very depressed, never feeling like I was good at comedy. I had a group, you know, we were doing shows every week. We were doing sketch, we were doing improv, we had a podcast. Um, but I always felt like a fraud. I always felt like I, I was kind of half-assing it, you know, and I was, I was, uh, too into comedy to, to be serious about my career. And I was too into my career to be serious about comedy. So I was just kind of half-heartedly doing both um, and feeling self-conscious that I wasn't a hundred percent it, you know, and uh, I did some television work. I did some web series. I did stand up. I did, uh, I trained in all sorts of different theaters, but I didn't feel like, Oh, I'm, I'm uh, developing my skills and making myself more marketable. I said, why am I wasting all this time? with this silliness when I'm supposed to be out there doing like serious business work. And, um, I got married, I was doing, I was selling education technology and then COVID happened. And then all of a sudden everything just changed. <laughs> the entire world changed. The way people do work changed. And all of a sudden, all my skills became much more marketable. I was selling to college professors and um, I was not doing any comedy. You know, I was selling to these universities, trying to get them to adopt our tech solution. And, you know, COVID happened. I couldn't reach them anymore. I couldn't, their phones, you know, we had three ways of reaching the professors. Call their office phone, visit them on campus, or attend an educational conference. No more of that. All those were gone. All, the, all those were gone. So I started getting on camera and all of a sudden I realized I was better at it than 99.9% .9 of sellers out there because I had done television work, um, because I had done performing. Um, you know, I, I developed kind of the same style that you see now on LinkedIn, whereas like now on LinkedIn, I talk to corporate executives and CEOs and, you know, that type all day. Back in education, I was selling to PhDs, you know, and I found it doesn't really matter how much wealth or education somebody has. If you just talk to them like a person, they'll engage with you, you know? And um, yeah, it's powerful stuff. It's not how B2B teaches people to do anything. Certainly, I mean, business schools don't teach you how to make videos for prospecting. They certainly don't teach you how to make video content. So I was just like, screw it. 
I, I'm just going to go all in. And, you know, it, it's two years ago, you know, people were pretty skeptical of me. And then I started just doing all these things that I already had known how to do. And people are like, oh my God, this is incredible. And all of a sudden I started getting bigger coaching offerings and bigger consulting gigs. And um, now all the companies that are doing more performance-based stuff, characters, sketch comedy, that's what's doing really well right now, you know? Um, but again, it's like, these are these are skills I had all my life and none of them were valuable until I decided they were valuable. Wow. That, you know? that whole, out of that whole situation, there's so many things that jump into there as well, it, but diving into uh, what you, what exactly you just said that last thing, people didn't see them as, as beneficial or valuable until you showed that it was valuable. How did you take all, you know, obviously you, you did some of that comedy early on, you developed that skill early, stopped a little bit, and now you were bringing it back. When do you like, how would somebody take some of the skills that they developed later early on, or even if they have those skills right now, but they're not sure how to really bring them to the next level to, uh, to the point that you just mentioned, how do you make people see those, the, you know, you know, the, the skills that you have are valuable. How did you take those skills and, sh and show other people the importance of them being valuable? It sounds like it was a lot of just selling yourself. Well, there's a couple of things. Um, one, I, I took inventory of my life and uh, you know, I went through a rather dark, period before I got here where it was like COVID was happening and um, I was uh, getting divorced and um, it was a really rough time for me. I was also on a three-year creative dry spell, you know, so I felt like maybe I wasn't ever going to perform ever again. And I was frustrated in life and, and this life that I thought I was going to have, I thought we were going to buy a house and have kids. And then I was all alone, you know, and I started going to therapy and I... I asked myself, like, because I'm like, I can't fall into a deep, dark depression. I just can't handle that. You know, I don't have anybody to, to like, what do I do? I'm all alone, you know? Um, so I literally sat down and just wrote every time I was able to win in life. What was I doing? Sometimes that was directing shows. Sometimes that was doing sales. Uh, I hated the part of sales where I'd sit around cold calling angry people all day. Um, but I realized I have a knack for training other people. And this is in part because I was a sketch comedy writer director. So people on LinkedIn see me doing comedy right now. They see me doing multiple characters. They don't realize that for a lot of that time, I was not in those shows on stage. I was up in the booth and I had a cast of actors that was reading my lines, you know, and um, I, I like to think my skill is getting a good performance out of other people. You know, I can work with really impressive actors. I can also work with people who are scared, who've never done comedy before, who don't think they can do it. You know, I, I'm, I'm, you know, that's that's something I know I'm good at. And yeah, as I was doing the video thing, I had some mentees uh, that I was mentoring, and um, yeah, they were nervous to get on video, and I learned that I was able to get them looking really good because if you look straight at the lens and you're confident in what you're saying, and you have a simple message, and it's 30 seconds long anyone can be good on camera, you know? So um, yeah, I looked at all of that and I'm like, okay, well, you know, the parts of the sale where I'm talking to people, where I'm having to negotiate, where I'm having to listen, um, I'm good at all of that. And I'm not good at sitting there cold calling all day, you know? So how can I rearrange my life so I'm spending all the time doing the things that I can win at 
and I'm spending as little time as possible doing the things that I hate. Wow. That's, you know, that's, that's phenomenal. And, and how, like, and obviously sorry that you had to, that you went through a lot of those tough times, but ultimately when you were in the, the midst of some of that time and trying to, you know, you mentioned you're, you just tried to find any time that you were able to win. What are just obviously just, Point blank, right now, a lot of people are going through really tough times, whether they're laid off or they're, or they're pending layoff or they're not sure what the future looks like. What other advice do you have for somebody who is going through that tougher time to ultimately try to drive themselves through that as well? Uh, a couple of things. One, uh, talk to a therapist. Just do it. I, I, you know, I'm not a mental health expert. I don't pretend to be one. All I can do is say what it did for me. But I see a lot of people on LinkedIn giving mental health advice and it's like, hey, actually the best person to ask for mental health advice is a therapist because um, especially like sometimes what I was going through, it was very frustrating that my friends didn't want to talk to me and um, you know, men are not good at dealing with heavy uh, emotional issues sometimes. But it's kind of like they're not equipped to handle that. You know, so it's like, I recommend to people, I got a great piece of advice someone told me in my life. They said, if you're going through life changes, like new job, lost a job, got married, got divorced, start a relationship, end a relationship, uh, whatever it is. If you're going through two or more of those things at the same time, go talk to a therapist, even if you don't feel depressed. Like, those are such life rearranging pressure-filled situations on their own just talk to somebody because they talk to people who help you know they help people through situations like that all the time it it helps you know so I, first and foremost just talk to someone i know it's hard i know sometimes there's stigmas i know this is a big one with me sometimes you've tried it before in the past and it wasn't great um you know you got to try somebody else because Sometimes you find someone you, you're actually comfortable, you know, telling everything to. Uh, and sometimes it's not the first or second or third person you've tried, you know. So that's that's the big thing I'll say is like, no matter what, actually seeking out help from people who can help you. That's step one. If you just feel like you're in a slump or if you're not talented enough to go out there, you need to spend more time talking to other people. And uh, there's two things I recommend. One, take a class. You know, um, com comedians especially, they learn together. You know, you, you can see there's certain comedians that always hang out and they always are in each other's stuff. It's because they learn comedy together. You know, uh, Tina Fey and, and Amy Poehler, they were students at the Second City together. And that's how it goes. You learn with other people. Every week you have an assignment, you're giving feedback, you're working together. Class ends, okay, well, hey, why don't we just start doing some stuff together now? You know, so if you take a class, if you take an acting class, a writing class, a tango class, whatever it is, and you're around other people who are learning new things together, it fills you with creative energy, right? Um, the other thing I'll say, and this kind of goes back to mental health, you need to talk to strangers, not just your friends and family. And um, for anybody who's an entrepreneur or considering uh, becoming an entrepreneur, I've got bad news for you. Your friends and your family and the people that are close to you, they are the ones who will doubt you the most because they've seen you fail before. 
They've seen you try things and get lazy. They've seen you run out of steam. They've seen you get depressed. They've seen you lose your cool. Um, if you try to do something big and scary that's different, that has risk to it, they're going to try to protect you. And it's going to mess with your head because you're going to start telling yourself that maybe you can't do it. You know, and I came from a family that wasn't, we didn't have any entrepreneurs in my family. You know, this is not something they were comfortable with me doing. And I would get so freaked out when I would talk to anyone in my family. And then I would make a video and I would send it out and I would ask my network for feedback, you know, and they'd be like, this is incredible. This is so good. You know, like you got to run with this because you, you've got something here, you know, and it's like, strangers with fresh eyes were able to see the value of what I'm doing. But the people who, who knew me best were like, maybe you should go do something safe. And that, that affected the way I felt about myself. Right. And if and it, obviously they and to your point, they were coming at it as a place of, of trying to protect you, but really it probably shook you up a little bit further as well. How did you know at that point then, obviously, you know, you're, you're running your own gig right now. How do you break through some of that noise, even though they're coming from a good perspective on it, to ultimately give yourself that self-motivation or just the getting away from maybe the imposter syndrome of maybe I can't actually do this? How do, how do you get through that? Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, the the actual answer is I needed to have this tremendous failure of a life. <laughs> I lost everything and all my best laid plans went awry. And I was like, oh, I'm still okay. I'm still fine, you know? Um, sales and comedy are similar in that if you do it for long enough, you get some wins under your belt, you know? And for me, it was the combination of being like, okay, well, I've done sales for long enough to know that if I just ask enough people, I can convince someone to pay me a few thousand dollars or whatever, you know, like... I'll figure out something, you know, I can always go pick up the phone. Um, at the time too, sales salaries were booming. So I'm like, oh, screw it. I'll just get another sales job if this fails. Um, but yeah, it was the fact that like, I had done those shows for years. I've been on stage hundreds of times. I know I can make them laugh. I know I can get that out. I know I can win. I would say sales leaders, your job is to show your team how to win and make them understand that they can win, uh, you know, and, and, and instill that feeling in them and still that power in them and, and teach them how to win. And it's like, yeah, I've just done enough comedy. I've written enough shows. I've been on stage enough to know that I'm funnier than most of what's on LinkedIn. And um, yeah, it was like, I, I was always in my head about not being educated enough. And I went to state school and here I was trying to sell sometimes Ivy League professors or people who graduated from Harvard or Stanford or Yale or whatever. And I'm like, they're not thinking about Harvard right now. You know, they're thinking about how their rental property is losing money. And they're certainly not thinking about my backstory, you know? So if I'm just in the moment and I'm listening to them, and I'm, it, I'm just like, it feels like we're kind of vibing together and I get what they're about and all the things that I'm saying make sense. Then like, of course they'll accept me as an equal, you know? And um, it's, this also comes back to the feedback thing too, right? Because I, I expected when I started doing this, okay, well, 
the people who are in the C-suite, they make more money than everybody, which means they're more serious than everybody. So the low-level people will want the comedy and the high-level people will want boring stuff about ROI. And no, actually, it turns out you don't just stop laughing at things because you hit a certain you know value of your house or whatever. Um, rich people... Highly educated people, they laugh. They go to R-rated movies just like everybody else, you know? So you drop the formality and you just talk to them about what they care about. You talk to anybody. And it just sounds like, I mean, I hear these couple recurring themes that keep coming on and back and forth again. It's just, it's just about being human and just having like regular human interaction despite what you think. Now, I think that uh, to the point, I mean, and obviously, you know, it, uh, you know, I mentioned like the self-doubt and Postner syndrome um, are probably all things that came to your head. I know when you're talking to somebody who was at that Ivy League or you're stepping onto that stage for the first time or this new SDR needs to try to sell something to uh, a CIO who's been a, a CIO for 30 years, right? But we need to get rid of some of these preconceived notions that we have and just be in the moment with these people. What's your best piece of advice besides just pinching yourself in the moment of being present and really being able to say, I got this. Some of the other stuff that you mentioned, it's just falling back on, I've done this before and I have this experience. What's some of your thoughts on that? Yeah, I always say life got a lot easier when I realized I wasn't the main character. You know, that, that's why people feel the imposter syndrome because they think they're the main character of the story and they're afraid that everybody is going to find out that they're not good enough to be the main character. So like, I got to keep up appearances. Um, th that's more about the way you see yourself. You know, once you accept that everybody else is the main character of their own story, then you could just embrace being the most interesting minor character in their day. Or in sales, you want to be the most helpful minor character in their day. I always tell this, this is the thing about audiences too. The main character of the show is not the audience's favorite. The main character is the one that they identify with the most, but their favorite is the guy who comes on, says one hilarious line, and then walks off. That's the guy that everybody loves. And anytime that guy walks back on stage, everyone's like, this guy's back. Yeah, and he's going to get the one hilarious line. The house just absolutely erupts in laughter, and then he exits the stage. That's who the audience likes. And um, that's what I try to do in sales. It's like, okay, you know, this person's the main character. They're telling the story. It's all about what they want. I got to keep that in mind. Can I be just a little bit more delightful, a little bit more curious, a little bit more interested in them than anyone else they're going to talk on the phone with this day? You know, and um, maybe they're not going to buy my solution. You know, but sometimes they do six months later, you know, so if I can make them feel heard, if I can make them feel understood, if I can make them feel smart, that's a big one too. Because remember, improv is not about going for jokes. Um, in sales, if you got your cheesy joke that you use all the time, maybe you'll get a laugh, maybe you won't. If you set your prospect up to be the guy who has the joke and they get the big laugh, they're going to remember that they felt good when they talked to you. And 
um, yeah, this is this is how an improviser thinks, right? It's not how can I make myself look so funny? It's how can I make that other person in the scene right now look as as smart and funny and cool as possible? Because we all win if we do that, you know, and it's, I don't know. I think of it as a show and I am first and foremost, a support player. My job is to support other people. Even when I'm making a prospecting video and it's just me on camera, it's a two person scene. That camera is actually the other character and they're more important in the scene than I am. Wow. That is phenomenal. Now, now what I'm thinking about what you just mentioned as well, like I can't help but think, you know, cause from a sales leader perspective, what you want to do is you want to help your, you don't want to be the main character. You want your team to do well and should try to enable some of them. Do you think that some of the best sales leaders are also ones who would be good at that improv and in that same light? If that makes sense. Yeah. Again, I, I think sales is just listening. So, you know, um, like half the time, like when I'm working with SDRs and stuff, like we'll just, we'll review a call or something. And, I, you know, I'll just tell them, I'm like, look, it's going to be hard. I want you to not listen to anything that you say. And I want you to fixate a hundred percent on what your prospect is saying. And we'll listen to their recording. We'll listen to their cold call or whatever. I'll be like, what did they say? And the SDR will be like, Oh, I should have said this. And my intro was clear. I go, I didn't ask what you said. I asked what they said, you know, and um, it sounds overly simple, but yeah, so often the, especially new sales reps, they're so fixated on what they're going to say that they're, they're not really listening to what the other person says, you know? And um, yeah, I, I really believe it. it is all a matter of listening you know, um, if you want to get better at cold calling, go listen to what the best person on the team says. You know, it's not magic. They're probably asking questions that you're not asking, you know, or maybe they're doing something with their tone that you're not doing. And um, I'm a big believer in like the the problem contains the solution. And it's like your 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 scene partner, your prospect there, they're giving you gold. You know, uh if you're watching for it, if you're listening for it, if you can find that moment where you can jump in and all of a sudden, you know, you're cooking together, then like, yeah, you found it. Um, but you might miss it. You know, that's my whole thing is to to turn it into a listening game. And again, negotiating, jazz, sales, improv comedy. Um, there are all these professions where your success depends on how well can you listen. And um, it's not something <laughs> sales leaders spend more time practicing objection handling than they do listening. And um, you actually can practice listening. And I do, there's a lot of improv exercises I do to practice listening, I teach, including one, it's a very simple one. You have two improvisers sit back to back in chairs facing opposite directions and you have a moderator. And all the moderator does is you wait 10 seconds between each line and each person only gets one line. You go one line at a time and it feels way too long. It's super awkward, but it teaches you to be much more intentional with your words. And um, yeah, it's, you know, it's funny. Your show's called the 20%, you know, the stuff I'm doing on camera, 80% of it is not obvious. You know, and this happens when a, a company brings me in and they want to instantly get on camera and be a video star and make one video that's going to get them 50 million, you know, demos from a single cold email template. 
And I'm like, gang, when I'm sitting here staring at the camera saying nothing, I'm doing like 20 different things I've learned about that like you just don't know them until you know them. And um, again, I, I, I haven't said this in the interview yet, but I learn a lot more about content creation from creators outside of LinkedIn than I do from creators inside of LinkedIn. So a lot of my mentors are people who built successful content businesses. One of my, my mentors, like he built a million dollar content business on YouTube and TikTok. And, you know, um, they, they're doing really cool stuff out there. Um, but yeah, it's a lot of watching and listening and learning and, uh, sales leaders have a very narrow set of things they teach and then they just expect you to figure out the rest and very few do that. No, that's, that's really interesting. And and I think that I just became a better listener when you were talking about that stuff. And it just reminds me of literally one of the first days that I had in sales, they, uh, my sales, uh, person, uh, my, the sales trainer of my first company, like one of my first days was like, showed a picture of two people. It was a rabbit with big ears, small little mouth and an alligator. I said, what kind of seller do you want to be? Of course you want to be that alligator, right? You want to go in there and, and be strong and aggressive. But the real answer is you want to be that rabbit because they have two big ears and a small mouth. We don't, we don't want to be that big mouth with small ears. And that is where I think I started listening, uh, started the early importance of you need to listen. You have any thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, you know, the, I think this is actually why introverts can be quite good at sales. And I've known a lot of uh, killers in sales who were just small, quiet women. <laughs> and they'd go over and this manager would be like, go ring the victory gong. And so they'd be like, oh, ding. you know, just tap it because <laughs> they're really quiet. But again, it's like you're you're creating a situation where the other people person feels comfortable, you know, and they, they feel like actually able to talk about themselves. And um, yeah, w one trick I actually learned, and this is something I, I teach sellers too, is like my my trick is getting the prospect to tell me a story about something that happened earlier in the day. And I started doing this because, again, I was selling to universities and I found if you ask them what their goals are or their challenges or whatever, they always had a canned answer for me, right? Because it's, you know, and you know, in a company, they're talking about their company values and stuff like that all the time. They've got those memorized and, you know, it's talking points. It's somebody basically reciting a script that they, they've said in their head a million times, Um for me, I would always just ask them, like one of the first questions I would ask uh, in the sale was I'd be like, did you get any good questions this morning? And they would have to stop and think. And they'd go, you know what? I got one single question this morning. But it was a good one. I'd be like, what'd they ask? You know? And again, just this little act of getting them to think about like, what did they ask? You know? Um, I don't know what they're going to say, but it's real. You know, they haven't had the time to come up with a narrative about what happened that day yet, you know? And yeah, I'm always trying to get them out of their narratives. I'm always trying to like listen to what they actually said. And then I have the same question. I have two questions I ask like on every sales call. Uh, the number one question, I recommend everyone steal this from me. 
Um, I go, okay, what I pull, I do like two minutes of rapport maximum, then I stop talking. Uh, I pull up the agenda slide. You see, here's the agenda. We're going to talk about this, this, and that. I go, okay, so Tyler, here's what I had on the agenda today. We're going to recap this. We're going to talk about this, and then I'm going to go through here. Before I get into any of this, what were you hoping to get out of this call today? You know, sometimes I'll say, hey, I've got this here. What were you hoping to learn from this presentation today? And they'll usually just tell you the thing right there. They're like, oh, I don't really understand how you're different than this other competitor, you know? And it's like, okay, great. By the end of that 30 minutes, you need to show them how you're different. Otherwise, it's not going to happen, you know? And if someone's like, yeah, I just don't really think it's necessary for blah, 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 then like that's their thing, you know? You got to touch on that. But if you just launch into your slide presentation with no consideration for what they want, they're probably not going to be paying the full attention, you know? Um, but that's where that, you're more human centric. That's more your. That's where those sellers are more important. Are more focused on the objection handling and what they're actually saying versus what's most important to the customer and being customer centric. Right. That's the difference that a lot of teams that I've noticed are not doing right now. And it's so. Uh, thankfully, I asked that question today. You ran a couple demos this morning, and it was after you run through that uh, that agenda. It's besides that. Is there anything else you want to make sure that we covered today for this to be a successful time time together? And then they literally will just spit out what they want. Ooh, my that's, closing that's question. Discovery, right? Yeah. Um, I also have a closing question that I love. Whereas like when I think they're ready to close, when I think I got it, I drop the big question. I go, is there any reason why you would not want to do this? And then they just tell you, you know, and um same thing. Like you better listen very closely to what they say. And uh, that's their answer. You know, it's the answer, whether or not you ask them for it, you know, you're better off with the information. You're better off when you know what it was that prevented the deal from moving forward. And again, you really have to detach yourself from the outcome, which can be difficult, but that's another improv thing where it's like, I don't know where the scene is going. I, I'm just, I just have to drive the relationship forward. You know, um, Chicago's approach to improv is very much about the relationship. Who are these people to each other? You know, and that's, that's what I'm all about in sales too. Every single line should be driving the relationship forward. Every, you know, you should be creating understanding. You need to be open to the other person. And then, yeah, it doesn't really matter where you go. Maybe this ends with a sale. Maybe it doesn't. But, you know, by the end of it, do they understand something they didn't understand before? Did they feel supported? Did they feel understood? You know, really, how much more can you do than that? Um, another thing I'll say, just because you kind of open it up with an open question, um, if anybody out there is getting curious about video, whether that be video content or whether that be video prospecting, um, the biggest obstacle is going to be your own feelings about yourself. And um, everybody out there who's doing it, you know, struggles with that at some point, you know, um, like me, especially, and all your favorite LinkedIn content creators out there, you know, uh, people are still human 
and um, no one's going to invite you to start doing this. You got to just go start doing stuff because um, it's really fun. And the second you start doing it and the second you land some wins, you start getting a reputation and people know you and people start appreciating your stuff. You realize you're better than you thought you were. Um, but most people just never start in the first place because they don't think they're good enough. And it's like, I did not think I was good enough. Um, I kind of had to fall back into it and then make a big choice to go all in. Um, but I'm glad I started. And that's the biggest hurdle of, of really just getting started, right? The, I think there's a, something huge about this. I think there, you probably have a really awesome answer to this. It's, you know, you said the biggest issue is having is is how you're, you're currently feeling about yourself. And that's going to be one of the biggest obstacles, whether you start, you stop, whatever. Tell me how, it seems like the lessons that you've learned in improv, much like the lessons that we learn in sales, are, are just the, the foundations of what's going to be a, a successful life of how you roll through. How, how do you know, how do you navigate the ups and downs of life by leveraging what you've, what you've used in improv to help get over some of those obstacles and the tough times and in those kind of situations? Cause it's not easy to just roll with the punches or, you know, you, you know, feeling down on yourself or could I do this or not having that motivation to do it? What does that look like? Yeah. It's just being able to do things you can improve at, you know, um, I stay active. I swim. That's my sport of choice. Um, also with the music, you know, the music is something I can get better at. I've really embraced being a student again. And, um, you know, when I'm spinning my wheels with the content creation or the sales or the entrepreneurship or whatever, it's a different mental skill to, to have to work on. And, um, you know, I found that that gives me peace too, in a way that like, I don't know, I used to be too obsessed with social media and like just politics. And, you know, I'd waste a lot of time on stuff that wasn't making me happy and wasn't making me successful. And, um, you know, even like the, the, the whole, there's, there's a lot going on with this music scene, uh, behind me, but, you know, um, cause that was another thing. And the, when I made that list of things that I could do to win, you know, I had always said, Hey, I played, you know, saxophone when I was in high school, I never felt like a musician. You know, I, I always felt like a kid reading sheet music. You know, I didn't really feel like I understood the notes. Um, but I did love pep band, you know, pep band was fun because for the, basketball games and the football games uh you know you'd play the hits you'd play pop songs you'd play rock songs you'd play top 40 songs and the audience would really get into it so i was like all right well i'm gonna add a pep band element to this so i have a live stream now every uh episode ends opens with me just playing a couple bars on this weird synthesizer looking thing here and that was another sketch comedy thing i learned i learned always open your your show with a, a musical number uh, one, because it's impressive. The audience, you know, loves sing, singing and dancing and stuff. And two, you can be way more offensive in a song. You know, you can say things, get away with things in a song. But yeah, this is another thing of like, I used to have a band. I used to have a co-writer who would write shows with me who was a very talented musician. Um, I wanted to be a content creator and I looked around and I'm like, hey, it looks like the best content creators are musicians too. Then I'm like, screw it. I'm a musician now. I'm just going to learn. And I'm going to start playing again and uh, I guess my long-winded answer is um, I stopped focusing on what I wanted to be and I started focusing on what are the things I would like to be doing regularly. Wow, that's really powerful. 
Because a lot of the time, too, things don't work out the way that we necessarily thought they would or what they, they we'd like to. But what we can control is the things that we can do and the things that we can do better in the moment here as well. Chris, yeah. this has been a phenomenal conversation. I know we didn't get to dive in as deeply into the different uh, career changes that you had, but I think this was a really important conversation just to help with um, how people can navigate their life and ultimately taking a lot of the lessons that you've learned and ultimately sharing it out. So I really appreciate you uh, for, for that time as well. Final question I love to ask every single guest on the show. If you were teaching a College 101 class based upon all of your previous life and work experience, what would you teach and why? Hmm. I mean, I guess I would just teach what I'm teaching now. <laughs> you know, I teach the short video thing. I have a course about video prospecting because no one teaches this. You know, I believe that this is the future. Um, I've had to create my own process and my own, you know, I've had to test everything and develop everything myself. My course is the 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 process that I actually use. And I don't see nearly enough discussion about video and sales. I, nobody knows not. how to do it. They don't teach it in business school. And to any sales leader out there who doesn't think video works for sales, I say, take a look at who's dialing the phones right now. You know, the people who are graduating college right now, they have a different relationship to video than other generations do. They are better at it than other generations are. Um, so yeah, I, I picked this lane. Um, I wrote a book. It's not published yet, but I got to get it out there. And yeah, I teach this because I think this stuff is very important. Um, and yeah, if college... If you want to make me a emeritus professor, I don't even know what that's like to bring me in as just like a guy who teaches one class, but I would do it. A thousand percent, man. That's so interesting. It's so funny. I, I spent uh, almost a year at Vidyard and that year made me uh, feel comfortable to be able to have conversations like this or record those videos or jump in. So uh, let alone, like just that time at Vidyard alone, I see the true value in video. So if anybody else needs to, to learn that, I mean, it's a foundational skill that you could learn uh, that's going to be important for you anywhere you go in life. Chris, thank you so much again, man. Where can people learn more about you and everything you have going on? Yeah, you can uh, get the course at chrisbogue.io. Um, that is the best place uh, to get that. It is uh, it's very informative. There's also sketch comedy in there because, hey, it's me. Uh, also, if you want to find me online, I'm a content creator. The best thing you could do is ring my bell on LinkedIn, hit the follow <laughs> button. Uh, I have live events. I do sketch comedy. I, I have a lot of content about sales, about content creation, about video. Uh, and I'm a chatty Kathy, so you can shoot me a DM. You can also find my podcast, Chris Hells His Soul, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm on TikTok at Chris Sells His Soul and Twitter at Chris Sells Soul. So wherever you hang out on the internet, I'm there. Get the course if you want to uh, learn how to get fast and strategic and efficient with your video prospecting uh, or don't. I'm not your dad. <laughs> Chris, thank you so much, man. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. And if you enjoyed the show, it would mean the absolute world if you went to Apple and rated and reviewed the show for me as well, is this is a fantastic way to help grow the show and help to bring in fantastic guests and even more listeners to our tribe. So stay tuned for next episode and have a fantastic rest of your day.